Welcome to Jury Duty. I'm your host, Chris Terracone. Season 8 of Jury Duty explores the trial of Alex Murdoch, a member of one of the most powerful families in South Carolina, who is accused of murdering his son Paul and his wife Maggie, with the purpose of covering up a multitude of alleged crimes including fraud and homicide. In our last episode, we presented the debate over the admissibility of Murdoch's financial crimes as evidence of the defendant's possible motive for the murders of his wife and son, and we concluded with the testimony of Snapchat Records custodian Heidi Galore. In this installment, we continue our review of the financial crimes evidence debate with our look at the in-camera testimony of one of the defendant's former co-workers who discovered evidence of his financial crimes that led to his resignation. That's all coming up right after the break. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. It's February 2nd, 2023, day seven of the trial of Alex Murdoch. In our last episode, Judge Clifton Newman ruled that the court would proceed with a review of the admissibility of testimony regarding the defendant's alleged financial crimes as evidence of his motives for killing his wife and son. Judge Newman decided that he would review the prosecution's evidence by hearing the testimony in camera. In-camera testimony refers to private sessions held outside the presence of the jury. In this instance, so the judge can assess on a witness-by-witness basis whether it would be proper for the jury to hear that witness's testimony. We begin today as Creighton Waters calls Jeannie Seconder as the state's first witness in the in-camera hearing. Again, the prosecution's overarching argument during these in-camera examinations is that Alex Murdoch murdered his wife and son in order to try to cover up and or distract attention away from his financial misdeeds, which were discovered in the weeks leading up to the shootings. Miss Seconder takes a seat on the witness stand. She will testify that she reviewed the finances of Peters, Murdoch, Parker, Eltsroth, and Dietrich the law firm in which Alex Murdoch was a partner, and during that review, she discovered evidence of the defendant's fraudulent activity. She wears a black shirt and black pants with a leopard print scarf. Creighton Waters begins his examination with a few biographical questions. You understand we're here right now outside the presence of the jury for an in-camera hearing to determine the admissibility of some of your testimony. I do. Just very quickly, if you would, uh, give us a little bit. Uh, I'm not going to go through all the background that I went in front of the jury unless uh, Your Honor would like, but uh, give us a little bit about your background and where you currently work, how that led to where you currently work. Okay. I graduated with a BS in accounting from USC, went to work in an accounting firm for a few years, then switched to industrial at Westinghouse. And in 1999, I came to work at PMPD, which is Peters Murdoch Parker, as a temporary bookkeeper, and that has grown over the years to the office manager, CFO, accountant, anything business and um, insurance and HR related. Okay, and that's for uh, for whom? 
for Peters, Murdoch, Parker, L. Strong, and Dietrich. Right, so that's PMPED? Correct. And that's the law firm that Alec Murdoch used to work for? Correct. Uh, is it have a different name now? We are now um, a new entity that's called Parker Law Group, LLP. Prosecutor Waters moves on to ask Ms. Seckinger about the financial aspects and structure of PMPED as it existed when the defendant was there. All right, um, so just very quickly, uh, you've already kind of said this, but go through sort of the financial side of your job duties as it existed for PMPED back in the relevant time period. Okay, so my, my financial duties are actually I have people under me that do the day-to-day -day processing of checks, but my duties are to balance and reconcile accounts, provide financial statements, help with all tax um, documents, preparation of taxes, prepared any thing for any government census or surveys that we needed and anything HR related. Um, I want to ask you a little bit about the financial structure of how PMPED worked, if I could. And if you could explain that a little bit. Uh, people often think of lawyers as partners, but are they called partners under the employment agreement that everyone signed? No, we're called partners when we refer to each other as they're in the business, but for tax purposes, Everybody was an owner, it was a C corporation, so everybody's shareholders. And within Peters Murdoch Parker, every employee was a salaried employee, including the partners. Did the uh, employment agreement that everyone signed require that uh, any fees or money generated by any partner or lawyer uh, by the firm had to go to the firm? It did. And explain to me how if you're a, you know, let's just call them, quote, partner, if you're a partner, how does the compensation work? What are the elements of compensation as it worked uh, under the PMPD structure back in 2021 prior? So every partner received a base salary that they would receive in biweekly payments throughout the year. Um, that was set at a level of about $125,000. The majority of their pay came through an end-of-the-year bonus, which is when we closed out the books and settled on the books. And primarily, after overhead and over expenses were met, the net profit was divided amongst those partners. And in a simplified form, it was basically distributed based on a ratio of the fees that they brought in in percentage to the total. But that distribution would not take place until when? Usually the last week of December. All right. So when fees came in, they're going to be attributed to a particular lawyer, and ultimately that's going to be a percentage of the total revenues, and that's going to determine their percentage of the compensation at the end of the year after all overhead is paid. Correct. Is there also some sort of 7.5% fund or fee or something like that, or not? or amount that's put aside? There is. Um, you would take the gross bonuses that are the gross fees everybody brought in, less an overhead, and once we get to that number, everybody would throw in a pot 7.5%, and that money was divided back equally among the employees. And then a new percentage was arrived at to determine how much everybody would receive in the net income. Right. So you have to take care of overhead, right? Yes. And what is, what is an overhead, just generally? Overhead is just basically the expenses to run the business, what it costs us to advance client costs, what it costs to pay our employees, what it costs to rent the building, to provide equipment, office supplies, postage, et cetera. And that's got to be accounted for, and then you got to account for the 7.5% as well, correct? That's right. All right, and then only after that does each partner get compensation based on their relative contribution during that year? Correct. Right. Um, is the... Typically, the vast majority 
of compensation received by a partner at PMPED received in that distribution at the end of the year? Yes. And when does that take place? The last week of the year, generally speaking. Okay. And what is the point of that goal? Why do you want to sort of clear out all the money and clear the books? Um, basically, the, we don't want to leave the money in there to be taxed by the corporation because it's a C-Corp entity, so the, the objective is to get it out to the partners and avoid double taxation. And so because of that, is it up to each individual partner to essentially manage the bulk of their compensation that's received in one lump sum during the course of the next year? Yes, they need to budget. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Prosecutor Waters next directs Ms. Seckinger's attention to a series of partnership agreement documents for the PMPED law firm. Yes, this is the employment agreement each shareholder slash partner would have signed. Okay. And I just want to direct your attention uh, to um, number two. And, and uh, if you could uh, tell the court what that uh, provision that's signed by all the partners says. It says the employee accepts such employment and agrees that the employee will devote the employee's entire time and endeavor to the employer's business. Number three, if you could read that to the court, please. Services for the benefit of the employer. All professional services rendered by the employer shall be rendered as an employee of the employer, and all proceeds and remuneration received, therefore, shall inure to the employer's benefit. Okay. Well, tell me what that means. That means that all fees earned should come through payable to PMPD. All right. And so if a lawyer earns fees, is it appropriate at all for those fees to go directly to the lawyer as opposed to going through the law firm? No. Is that a hard rule to understand? No. Anybody ever have a problem with that rule or not understand it? No. Pretty pretty easy and hard and fast rule in that firm. That's right. right. If you get the money written straight to you, what is that? The money taken straight to you? Yeah. That would be stealing it. Stealing. Waters displays on the monitor the provisions that Ms. Seckinger was just referring to, then puts down the documents and pivots to questions about the witness's relationship with the defendant. How long have you known Alec Murdoch? Let me ask you that. I've known Alec since I was in high school, so roughly 40 years. Okay. And how long have you worked with him, or did you work with him? About 23, 24 years, since 1999. And uh, did he have a lucrative practice in, in your observation? Yes, he did well. Was he sometimes getting as much as seven figures in the end of the year? He has. Creighton Waters then asks the witness about her familiarity with Paul Murdoch's boating accident, which took the life of Mallory Beach. Are you familiar with what's been uh, called the boat case? Yes. And tell me what your understanding of the boat case is, just generally. What, what was that? Um, generally speaking, it was an accident that several children got in one evening where it was in Paul's, or the Murdoch's boat. Paul was accused as the driver, and there were a lot of civil suits and some criminal proceedings going on related to that crime. And following the uh, boat case, is it your understanding that uh, Paul Murdoch was charged? Yes. 
Is it your understanding that Alec Murdoch was civilly sued? Yes. And there was ongoing civil litigation at the time Paul and Maggie were murdered. That's correct. Um, after the boat case happened, did you and Alec ever have any discussions about uh, structuring fees? We did. We did in late May of 2020, 2021, um, yes. right about the end of the month, we had some discussions about Hirschberger, a, a disbursement came through that he had tried to send his fees to a structured settlement. And the conversation was that he had done it improperly because for to structure fees properly, it has to be part of the release. It has to go straight from the insurance company, straight to the insurance structured annuity place. And um, we would need to be told about it in our firm so we could account for it in our 7.5%. But in this particular case, Alec had sent the money directly to Forge. Um, we discussed the fact that it would not be any tax benefit to him. And at that point in time, he said he was not really worried about the tax benefit of it. And he said he was trying to put some money in Maggie's name due to the boat wreck and that he was trying to figure out if he was going to structure fees for the future. Okay. Did he say he was trying to do a favor for anyone too? He did say he would had been he was friends with Michael Gunn and that who is the owner of, or one of the operators of Forge and that he was going to try to put up to about $250,000 into a structure as a favor for Michael Gunn. All right, when you say Forge, what are you talking about? So Forge is a company that does structured annuities. Um, you have the full name real quick? Forge Consulting. All right, let's call it Forge Consulting. Key members of Forge Consulting, including the president of the company, Michael Gunn, will later offer their own testimony regarding the evidence of the defendant's financial crimes. Okay, Forge Consulting. Right, yeah. um, they're a company that will do structured annuities for clients. They'll do structured fees for attorneys. They do some wealth management. Um, they do minor pool trust. They have several different things that they do. I think they've branched out into insurance coverage now. They provide a lot of financial tools. You say that you uh, had a conversation with him about him supposedly structuring fees. How did this come to your attention? It came to my attention over the fact that a disbursement, my um, one of my secretaries or my my assistant brought to me, that had been brought to her attention by Alex's secretary or paralegal Annette Griswold, and came and asked me if this was proper, and then came to me after the fact, and that's when I went and had conversations with Alec about this. And so had the money already been paid? Yes. And you went to Alec and you asked, what's this about? Yes. And he said, I'm doing what? I'm just trying to defer and put money into Maggie's name, structure some fees. Did he tell you where or did he, where that money had gone? What was your belief where that money had gone after you talked to Alec? My belief was it had gone to Forge Consulting. The real entity yes. Forge Consulting. Yes. Waters pauses to show Ms. Seconder a series of financial documents and has her explain them to the court. All right. I'm going to show you just real quick what's been marked for purposes of this hearing, stakes 311, and see if you recognize uh, that series. I think there's four documents in there. Yes, these are the Hirschberger um, settlement documents, which is the case that we're talking about, the fee that he sent as a structure. And are there one or two in there, ultimately? There are ultimately two. There's one that's structured to look like fee, and then the other one was structured to look like it was client's money 
that was being sent on the client's behalf. Which one were you aware of at the time? I was aware of the fee one for the $83,333.33. Right. At the time, did you think that any money had been misappropriated or stolen, or did you just think Alan was trying to divert some money because of the boat case, but not necessarily anything misappropriated? At that right. We were not thinking about him misappropriating funds or stealing any client funds. What we were concerned about was he was trying to either defer income by leaving it in somebody's trust or either trying to put some money into Maggie's name to avoid things for the boat accident. When you say we were concerned, who's concerned? Myself and some of the partners. Why are you all concerned about him potentially trying to put money in a structure or in Maggie's name because of the boat case? Well, because that would be wrong and we did not want any part of that. Creighton Waters displays another document on the monitor. Do you recognize this document right here? Yes, that's the document that is in question with the $83,333.33 fee sent to Forge. All right. And right there, tell me what this disbursement sheet is very quickly. Explain that to the court. So this is a, um, a, where the client recovered $250,000. You can see it came from three different insurers. And we would take a portion of our fee. Generally, this looks like a third in our expenses. Of 9,300, the Sedgwick claims would have been a lien that we were playing off, and then the 140,678.55 would have been the money dispersed between the beneficiaries of that estate. And what is this line right here? That would represent the fee. At this point in time, had you actually seen the check that was uh, that was made out for those fees? I don't recall if I actually looked at it at that point in time. And normally fees, where would they go? If they if normally, if fees would come to us and we would deposit them to our income account, what we call our income account. Okay. So fees come in from somebody who pays a settlement. Where do they go initially? To, what account to, do they go in? To, to the income account, the PMPD operating income account. Okay. Fees go in there. Yes. All right. When a settlement comes in, where does it go? It goes in a client trust account for the benefit of the client. And then the portion of that that is allocated for fees, it goes from the trust account to where? To the income account. Okay. It usually doesn't go out to Forge Consulting or anything like no. that? After you had that conversation at Alec, did you follow at that time, did you follow up anymore on the matter? We had a couple of conversations about it in relation to some other, when we were having some other conversations, but we didn't really readdress this again until late September, late August, early September. Uh, did you kind of put it on the back burner? I did. I put it, I was, at that point, it had been done, and I was trying to figure out how we were going to account for it on our books, and just kind of had it out there as a reminder to try to see put in my mind later to see if anything else had been done like that or to see if he was going to try to do that again. After that particular event, you said that was in late May sometime? You're right. Did uh, another matter come to your attention about disbursements as it related to Alec Murdoch's practice and his business? It did. And tell me what that was, please. So on, um, this was a case called the Ferris versus Mack truck case. And on a Monday, I believe it was May 24th, Annette Griswold called me and said that she had something she needed to discuss with me. I was out of the office that day in our Walterboro office, but when I returned, we met. Um, and when she showed me, she, the, what had happened was we received a check for our client expenses. So this case was actually dispersed by the associated attorney, which was Chris Wilson. So he sent us a check for the money that we had forwarded as client expenses, but we did not receive a fee check. 
and that is itself is odd generally. Generally, that odd? Why didn't that call you? Because I received a fee check from Alex's best friend Chris Wilson, but not the excuse me, the expense check, but not the fee check. Right. Most of the time, we receive them together. Well. Annette, when she did not receive them together, called my assistant, Nicole, to make sure we had not already received the fee, verified that we had not already received the fee. And at that point, Annette had some conversations with Vicki Lyman in Chris's office. And Vicki informed Chris that their bosses had already got the fee when the settlement was signed, which had happened in March. And this was May. And Vicki informed Chris or Vicki informed Annette? Vicki informed Annette of that. So why is that a concern to you that now you're hearing the fee's already been paid? Because now we know we don't have the check. We've never received it. So either he's got a fee, he, either he's got a check he hasn't turned into us that is properly payable to PMPD, or he's received a check payable to him. All right. And when you were considering the possibility that he perhaps received a check payable to him, aside from that being stealing, as you earlier testified to it, what's your concern then? saying that he's trying to hide money from the boat rack. Creighton Waters shows Ms. Seconder another series of documents. I'm going to show you what's been marked as, uh, for the purposes of this hearing, as Exhibit 312, and see if you recognize this stuff. Yes, this is the actual the expense check that we received in the Ferris matter. Okay. And, from, uh, from Wilson Law Group. Just quick flip through it and just tell me generally what that what's in that packet. The rest of the packet is our um, deposit, which is an internal record, our cost client cost report, which matches that expense check. Then the rest of it, the second what I'm looking at right now is a check made payable to Richard Alexander Murdoch Esquire for $192,000, and it references Ferris fees. Next page is the deposit, where it says Bank of America deposit only and it looks like ACH, that looks like, it actually looks to me like LX initials, and then it says Bank of America. Is there a series of emails after that? Series of emails starts with Vicki Lyman informing Annette Griswold about the fact that their bosses had received the fee back when the disbursement was signed. Prosecutor Waters displays the referenced emails on the courtroom monitor. So this is uh, email, and Annette Griswold, explain to uh, the judge who Annette Griswold is, please. Annette Griswold is one of Alex's um, primary paralegals. Right here, this is an email that was ultimately sent to you as, as part of bringing this to your attention? Yes. All right, and what is she asking right there? She said, why just expenses and no fee? All right, and what was the response there? Dear friend, it is only cost because your boss and mine and Liz's got their fees once they were signed. So Annette's informing you that Chris Wilson's office says they already got the fees. Correct. All right. After that, did you have a conversation with Annette what to do? I did. I actually talked with Lee Cope. We um, went to Lee. Sometimes a lot of the partners are not in the office, and Lee Cope was the one who was in the office. So I went to talk to Lee about what we should do. Um, and, of course, Annette was worried about getting, you know, ramifications if she was wrong and didn't want to be in trouble. So Lee and I decided to take it over from there. And the course of action that we decided upon was that I would send an email to Annette requesting the disbursement, the supporting documents, and the general ledger printout for Chris Wilson's office, which is what we keep in our office. All right. And if we go right here, can, is that the email you're speaking of right there? That is. 
right, what's the date on that? May 27th. All right, and so then what happens to that email from there if we look over to the next page? So um, apparently Vicki in Chris Wilson's office was on vacation, so on June 2nd, um, Annette clarifies with Vicki what exactly we were looking for. And again, she asked for the full disbursement paperwork, including the disbursement sheets, expenses, supporting docs, and ledger. All right, and you're included on that email? I am CC'd, yes. Okay. All right. Did y'all uh, ultimately get a response on that? Um, Vicki responded that she would have to send that email to Chris because she did not have privy to that information. So that was on the second. The next day, Ellie came into my office early and asked me why I needed that information and assured me that the money was in Chris Wilson's account and that they could get it any time. And uh, did y'all discuss anything further when you had that conversation? Just that we needed to get it or I needed proof that we that it was there, that it was necessary to get it. At that point, I didn't indicate to him that I thought it was missing. I was just asking for the documentation. And that was on what day? It was some sometime in between June 2nd and June 7th. And how much were these fees supposed to be, did you know? $792,000 in total. And to this point, the firm had not received those fees, is that correct? That's correct. And with that, we bring to a close this episode of Jury Duty. Please join us on our next installment as we continue our review of the in-camera testimony of Jeannie Seconder, which will help determine whether evidence of Alex Murdoch's financial crimes will be admissible in this murder trial. Also, check out the Crime Story podcast Night Raid wherever you get your podcasts. And if you would like to listen to these episodes early and ad-free, head over to our Jury Duty Crime Story Patreon page. 